I never look at fashion magazines. I find them incredibly boring. To me, reading a fashion magazine is the last thing I need to do. I've got books I need to read. More people should read books. It's the most concentrated experience you can have. You know, all those incredible geniuses concentrated their lifetimes' experiences in books. It's much better than chattering away to somebody who's never read anything and knows nothing at all. So said Vivian Westwood, fashion designer, of course, who we lost recently. We also lost two photographers in the last couple of weeks whose uh, deaths I couldn't include in our New Year's special because I'd already recorded it. But I think it's still worth uh, talking about these two photographers. I think not only because of their incredible bodies of work, but the fact of their age and what they had seen. The first one was Tony Vaccaro, who died aged 100, known as a World War II and fashion photographer. He was born in Greensburg, Pennsylvania in 1922. Vaccaro spent the first years of his life in the village of Bonifro, Italy, and after his family left America under the threat from the Mafia. His mother died during childbirth a few years before tuberculosis claimed his father, and by age five he was an orphan in Italy, raised by an uncaring aunt and enduring beatings from an uncle. By World War II, he was an American GI, drafted into the war, heading toward Omaha Beach, six days after the first day uh, landings at Normandy. Denied access to the Signal Corps, Vaccaro was determined to photograph the war he was part of and had his portable 35mm Argos C3 with him from the start. For the next 272 days, he photographed his personal witness to the brutality of war. After the war, Vaccaro remained in Germany to photograph the rebuilding of the country for Stars and Stripes magazine. Returning to the US in 1950, he started his career as a commissioned fashion and lifestyle photographer, eventually working for virtually every major publication, including Look, Life, Harper's Bazaar, Town and Country, Newsweek and many, many more. Vaccaro's life's work is now housed in a 5,000 square feet property in Long Island City, which boasts the largest darkroom in New York City. Thousands of prints can be found there, and an estimated 800,000 negatives. The second photographer I would like to, I suppose, uh, recognise their passing uh, this week is Marilyn Stafford. And rather than just reading out an obituary about Marilyn, her career, which was incredible, uh, and her work, I'd like to read a Twitter uh, thread, a tweet thread from friend of the uh, podcast, a good friend of mine, Jim Stevenson, a great architectural photographer and filmmaker. Anyway, uh, you can find Jim on Twitter at ClickClickJim. And uh, he said this, My wonderful friend, Marilyn Stafford, passed away earlier this week. 
She was 98 and a total inspiration. One of the first women photojournalists on Fleet Street. A total hustler with a hundred stories, each one completely remarkable. The first photograph she ever took was a portrait of Albert Einstein. Shortly after that, she moved from the US to Paris and sung in a club where she became friends with Edith Piaf and Henri Cartier-Bresson, who became her photography mentor. In Paris, she ended up photographing for a lot of the fashion houses and influenced by her interest in documentary photography, she all but invented street fashion photo shoots. In the 60s, she arrived in London and began her documentary photography and humanitarian work. She worked extensively in India over the years, both as a photographer documenting the life of Indira Gandhi and in a humanitarian role, raising money for women's charities. We almost published a book together a few years ago, but some of her work, about some of her work, I should say, I wish we had. We used to have fish and chips in her garden in Shoreham and talk about cats, then email each other about our cats. She wrote in all caps, in Comic Sans, although I never asked why. One time at a party, she took me by the arm and I was proper proud as she walked me across the room. I kept thinking of this great photo of her at the races, arm in arm with Bing Crosby. She wanted to introduce me to someone she thought I could get work from. As she delivered me to where this person was, she turned on her heels and said quietly to me, I think they might be a bit of a shit, though. She told me hundreds of incredible stories, and I always came away thinking she had hundreds more. She didn't really start to get noticed as a photographer until late in her life. I didn't see her as much as I should have in the last couple of years. But I'll really miss our chats. Raconteur, hustler, inspiration and hero. Also, she was well glam. Here's to you, Marilyn. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us in less than five minutes what photography means to him, John R.J. Taylor, who was born in Scotland in 1958 and studied art and photography at Duncan of Jordanston College of Art in Scotland and photography at the Royal College of Art in London. His book, Ideal Home was first published over 30 years ago in 1989 and quickly began to influence photographers and students as to what was a suitable subject for an image, opening up the possibilities of exploring the ordinary, everyday objects of life in a new way. Once a cult book, it is now considered a modern classic. Ideal Home is an almost forensic photographic record of his sister's North London suburban house. Working his way methodically around the house, Taylor documented the rooms, tabletops, ornaments, interiors of fridges, cupboards, garden, as many aspects of the domestic interior of the home as possible. He's continued to work on a range of uh, projects, all of which are on his website. Taylor has continued to work on these projects ever since, and his images have been collected by the Victoria and Albert Museum and the Museum of London and the Houston Museum of Fine Arts, Houston, Texas. He's also been exhibited throughout Europe and once in the USA. 
1976, I was at art college in Dundee and I was studying to be a painter. I was doing a bit of photography on the side and it had started to creep into my life, but not greatly. And one morning I was in the studio rolling up my sleeve, ready to spend the day in the studio painting. And I looked out of the window and it was February and it was crystal clear day with no air pollution and you could see for miles and there had been a dusting of snow and it was just looked incredible. And I thought, to hell with this, I'm going out. So I put my jacket on and slung a camera around my neck and I went out walking. And I walked and I walked and um, I walked to places that I didn't know existed. I walked down paths I didn't know where it would take me. I met people, I saw things. And it was very liberating and uh, very energising. Six hours later, I came back to college and I was flushed with energy and excitement from the day I'd had, which I'd never had before. And that day changed my life. Um, I know that sounds dramatic, but it did. And I became addicted to that kind of thing. And I went walking at every opportunity with my camera, taking pictures. It was very, as I said, it was liberating. It was also therapeutic because it got me into situations which challenged me. It got me to meet people. And I was rather introspective and a bit shy at that point, being so young. And it opened me up to things. And um, it uh, it matured me and it just made me a, a different person. Um, I became like a magpie, just gathering greedily all the images around me that I... I could see and it became very clear to me sometimes I would walk into a situation and I would never be in that situation again ever in the rest of my life and I had photographs of of it to prove that I had been there and I had done it um, so it was, it was all very exciting and that was my life and it's still my life and uh, photography to me what does it mean? It's meant freedom and liberation and great joy and excitement that uh, I've had over the years. That's it. Thank you, John, for your contribution this week. Once again, the importance of walking to photography, that idea of uh, just getting out and observing what's around us being a gateway to what photography can be. As always, if you're not aware of John's work, check out his website. Full details are on the page where this podcast is posted at unitednationsofphotography.com. I began this episode talking about Vivian Westwood, somebody who was really intrinsic, I suppose, to my early life. Not only in the fact that I kind of grew up on the King's Road in Chelsea back in the late 1970s and early 80s and therefore was very aware of her shop with Malcolm McLaren down towards World's End. And then, of course, moving into fashion magazines, which I started working on in 1985, laying out the photographs from her catwalk shows and also uh, the images featuring her clothes by so many great photographers at that time. 
But I also um, art directed a photographic shoot with Vivian in the room above her Mayfair shop, a beautiful space actually for photography with two very large uh, high high ceiling room, but two very large tall windows flooding uh, the space with light. What was interesting, and the reason why I bring that up at this point, is that Vivian is one of only two people I've ever photographed or art-directed photographs of who've asked for the same thing. What that was was a full-length mirror. What uh, Vivian asked for was a full-length mirror to be put next to the photographer, literally right next to them so that she could see how she looked in every single frame that was made. She could look at the shape and the form. She could look at the light and the way it was falling on her face. And I, I thought this was a fantastically professional, and I really, I really liked that. Well, there was someone else who did exactly the same thing. Not in London this time, but on a shoot I was art directing in New York with the uh, actress Demi Moore, who at that time, I think very unkindly, had a, I suppose, a nickname as of Gimme Moore. I have to say, I got on with her really well and found her to be really good fun. But anyway... She also asked for for a full-length mirror to be put next to the photographer for exactly the same reasons that uh, Vivian Westwood did. She wanted to see how she looked, how the photographer was seeing her. I like that. I wonder how many other photographers would think that that was a good idea. I don't know. I suppose now we're so used to the idea of studio photography being tethered where the person being photographed can come around and see how they look and then ask in for images to be deleted. I, I have to say, I, I'm totally against this way of working, that idea of giving the control to the person being photographed, particularly in that kind of celebrity portrait, fashion portrait kind of image. But anyway, that's a separate thing. I considered both Demi and Vivian to be incredibly professional. And what I liked about it was also that it showed they cared. Not only how they looked, but how the photographs looked. And that, therefore, meant that they also cared about the photographer. I should also add that Demi Moore also... uh, asked for all Polaroids uh, from the shoot. That shows how long ago this was. So all Polaroids had to be given to her just to ensure that none of them sneaked out. I saw a comment recently on Twitter. It was actually a comment, I think, to uh, kind of responding to something I'd said. And they were, the comment was really about this idea, or it's making a point, that um, learning photography is about learning facts. And therefore, it's really important that the person who is teaching needs to be consistent with their facts. There was no space for that person to perhaps evolve their opinions, evolve their understanding. Of course, this this is ridiculous. The idea that any of us as photographers, as human beings, 
take one stance and stick with it throughout our lives is incredibly, I suppose, demeaning to the idea of education, of listening. And I think we personally, I think we should all be uh, in a place whereby we're perfectly happy to have different opinions, to change our opinions. Perhaps our opinions are Evolve. Maybe we have conflicting opinions that we haven't yet fully resolved for ourselves. The person also said, well, you know, as a gatekeeper, it's really important that you have the same opinion. Well, I don't think it is. Funnily enough, this particular kind of discussion point came out around the idea, I should say, of uh, AI photography and manipulation of photography. I'm, I'm very clear as to where I am on manipulation of photography. But the whole situation with AI for me is a constantly fluid situation. And therefore, I am going to change my opinion. I am going to change where I stand with this. I've actually written an article to try and bring some clarity to what I'm saying here, which is on the United Nations of Photography.com website. It's called What is a Photograph? And I think perhaps you might enjoy that if you enjoy the kind of conversations we have here on the podcast. Uh, I'd just like to also say thank you very much for all of the positive uh, comments I've received and Bill Shapiro has also received after our New Year's special this year. Uh, it's always difficult um, to try and bring that together and get that sense of kind of what's going to happen. I, I hope you agree. I think we we didn't do a bad job. I hope at least it made you think a little bit about where you are with photography and that you found it entertaining. Uh, during the, the coming year, we're going to have a few more slightly longer interviews with some really great photographers, just as uh, we did for the Christmas special with Jonas Benningson. Uh, and we will be continuing with the conversation with Bill in the first week of every month. So it works out. You're roughly going to get three to four of this kind of podcast each month. And then you're going to have a longer conversation with Bill, that ongoing conversation around different themes. And I'm also going to dot in a few slightly longer interviews with photographers who I personally find really interesting. And um, I hope you do too. Anyway, we're starting the new year, I hope, in the right way. It's certainly going to be challenging, I think, for all of us. But as always, the most important thing that any of us can do is to take care. <laughs>